In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the fourth Sunday of the Coptic month of Misra, which is the second to last month of the year. Every month of the year has 30 days, uh, except the very last month of the year, which only has five or six days, depending on if it's a leap year or not. And so toward the end of the Coptic year, uh, which we're in now, uh, the readings in the church are always related to uh, the end of the world and being prepared for the end. Just as we are now coming to the end of the year, the readings are about the end of our lives and the end of the world. And so in the reading today, the disciples are asking Christ about all these signs that he's speaking about that are going to come to the at the end. And he's, they're asking him, when are these things going to happen? And essentially, he doesn't give them a clear answer. He doesn't tell them when these things are going to happen, but he tells them that there are certain signs that they should be looking for for the end. But the main point that he was trying to say is because you don't know when the end is going to be, you always have to be prepared for the end regardless of when it is. And while sometimes people become obsessed with trying to determine when is the end of the world, for many of us and for everyone who has lived in the world so far, the end of the world for them was the end of their own life. Because after that point, there is no opportunity for repentance. There's no opportunity for change. Every option and every decision that they had to make, they had to do it while they were alive. And, and after that, there is no more chance or opportunity. So when we are speaking about watching, we're not necessarily watching for the end of the world because we don't know when that is going to happen. But we are watching for our own end and, and to be prepared for it. In Mark 13, 35, Christ said, Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. Meaning you do not know. And when the master of the house comes, you are a servant of the house. When he comes, is he going to come and find you being faithful, doing what you should be doing? Or is he going to come and find you sleeping or lazy or, or, or you know, unprofitable, not doing what it is that you should be doing? So during this period of time at the end of our lives, we ask this question of his, who is it who is going to inherit the eternal life and what is it that we should be doing in order for us to inherit this life? In, um, in Romans 3.12, it speaks about our works. It says, they have all turned aside, they have together become unprofitable, there is none who does good, no, not one. Which is referring to the work of man. We do not have works that qualify us for salvation. We do not have good works enough to qualify us for salvation. If God were going to judge us based on works alone, he would come and he find what? There is none who does good, no, not one. And so none of us are worthy of salvation. And so our works are lacking. So if we are to say that we have salvation by our works, then no matter how good our works are, no matter how saintly we behave, no matter how pure our thoughts, it will never going to be sufficient. And so we would not gain the kingdom of heaven in that way. Uh, someone who came and asked Christ this question directly was the uh, rich young ruler. This rich young ruler, he came to Christ and he told him, what is it that I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Christ told him, you know the commandments. And the, the, the son's response when he said, you know the commandments, he said, I've done all of these. You know, very casually, like all these commandments, all these commandments that, you know, that, that I've been taught from my youth, I, I've been doing them perfectly. Like I, I, I deserve salvation because I have done all of these commandments. But he was arrogant in his approach because he didn't understand that what salvation is not by his works. St. Hilary uh, says the following. He says, the young man became arrogant through the observance of the law. He did not recognize that the consummation of the law is Christ. He assumed he could be justified by works. 
He was not aware that Jesus had come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel and that the law could not save except through justifying faith. And so even in the church today, we somehow implicitly have this idea that those of us with the best works are those of us that are, you know, going to heaven or have salvation, right? But when you look at the outside of a person, you don't necessarily know what is causing them to do these works. Are they doing the works for the right reasons? Are they doing it for the wrong reasons? Is it easy for them to do these works because they were raised in such a way that doing these things was, you know, ingrained in them? Or compare them to someone else who wasn't raised that way that is maybe trying even more to be conformed to the truth, to trying to do the right thing. It's difficult for us to look at each other and determine, is this really a good person or not? Is this a sincere person or not? And maybe all of us in our lives have had examples where we have been fooled by people that from the outside appeared very good, and then later we found out that they were not. So how is it that we can judge one another based on our works? We can't. And while, again, one person might have been taught to do good all their life is going to be judged by a different standard of someone who just came to, to God very late in their life. For instance, the right-hand thief, when he came to Christ and he believed in him, he had no concept of what is it that Christ was teaching. He never had the opportunity to practice any good work, but it was simply because the mercy of God that he inherited the kingdom of heaven. So I want to go through this story briefly with the rich young ruler because it, it shows us a lot about what God is actually asking us to do in order, in order to inherit eternal life. And now, especially during this time of the year where we are speaking about the end of the world and the end of our lives, it is important for us to reflect on this and to understand what is it that we should be doing and what our attitude should be toward this very important idea. So again, when the prodigal son asked him, asked Christ, what is it that I should do to inherit eternal life? We read this in Mark chapter 10. Christ said, <clears throat> you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Okay. So how many of these commandments did he, did he mention? He said, what? Do not commit adultery. Do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. These are six commandments, okay? And if you're familiar with the way that the Ten Commandments are structured, it's broken up into two parts. Six of the commandments are referring to our relationship with others, right? Which are, which are these six here that he listed. For instance, do not commit adultery. This is a relationship from one person to another. Do not murder other people. Do not steal from other people. Do not bear false witness of other people. Do not defraud or lie to other people. Honor your father and mother. All these commandments that Christ gave this man are all related to the relationship that we have with other human beings. Okay? And so the man, you know, he responded and he said, you know what, I've, I've done these things. But before we go on to that, what are the other four commandments? The four commandments that he didn't mention. Okay? The other four commandments are related to our relationship with God. Not our relationship directly with other people, but our relationship with God. For instance, the first commandment is, You shall have no other gods before me. The second, You shall not make for yourself a carved image. The third, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The fourth, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So, here, by listing only these last six commandments, okay, what was Christ telling him? He's saying, you know the commandments. These are the outward form of the commandments. These are what you look at someone from the outside and you try to determine, is this a godly person or not? Really, what do you base it on? You base it on these last six because these last six are visible. 
You know, you can tell if someone has stolen or someone is a liar or someone covets or someone is a murderer or someone doesn't honor their father and mother. If you observe a person's actions, you can see, you can see these things in them. Okay? And yet, God is reminding us again that our salvation is not simply by works alone. It is not simply because someone keeps these six commandments do they have salvation. Okay? Because those other four are very, very important. So, when, when Christ tells him this in, in verse 19, when he says, you know the commandments, and he lists these six commandments, the man responds in verse 20, he says, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Okay, all these things I have kept from my youth. So obviously this man, he already knew the commandments, and he was trying to obey them. But which ones was he trying to obey? Which ones did he focus on? He said, what well, I obeyed all of these commandments in terms of my relationship with other people. Okay, but then Christ responds and he says what? Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. Okay, but this was not one of the commandments, right? There, there was no of those commandments that Christ listed to him that said to him what? You have to give up all of your possessions. Right? That was not a commandment. The, the, the six commandments that Christ gave had nothing to do with this kind of self-sacrifice. Right? Again, it was all related to my relationship with other people, not my internal uh, con self-control or self-discipline or my relationship to God or any of those things. It was only related to those others. Okay? So Christ, he saw past the outer appearance of this man. Right? This man from the outside, maybe he was... Uh, you know, a righteous man. Maybe he was, you know, doing the works that he should have been doing. But Christ said, this is not sufficient. It is not sufficient simply for you to be obeying the commandments. He saw past his outer appearance and he looked into his heart and he saw the man's heart. In Proverbs 15 verse 11, it says, hell and destruction are before the Lord. So how much more the hearts of the sons of men? Like, like God looks, he pierces our soul, he looks into our hearts and he sees, what am I actually what am I actually doing? What am I actually believing? What is my actual status? Not the status that we see with one another when we judge one another, for we don't really know anyone. We barely even know ourselves. But God sees, he sees ourselves, he sees others, he knows everyone. So here when Christ is speaking to him, uh, it says, uh, Jesus looking at him, loved him which means he had compassion on him, meaning he knew his true problem, right? And he saw that this man was maybe very legalistic and he was trying to, to do all of these commandments, these external commandments, but he was missing the point of the commandment. He was missing like the underlying foundation of the commandment, which was the love of God. And so he knew he had this problem for the love of money, this rich man. He knew he had this problem for the Christ knew that he had this problem or for the love of money and he wanted to address it, okay? So what actually was the commandment that he was breaking? The commandment he was breaking was the first commandment, which is, you shall have no other gods before me. So while from the outside, again, the six other commandments related to dealing with others, he seemed like, okay, he was keeping these commandments from his youth. But when it came to what the first commandment, the most important of them, you shall have no other gods before me, he was lacking in it. He was not able to do it because his God was this money. His God was this wealth that he was attached to and he had set up this idol uh, in his heart, but this man did not see it. This man did not realize that that was the case. And we often do the same. We often ignore our inward condition. We focus on the outside. 
Why? Because the outside is what determines our reputation. When someone wants to judge me according to my works, they're going to see what I do from the outside and they're going to look at my works and they say, okay, well, I want other people to think well of me. So I'm going to act a certain way, especially in front of the certain people that I really want to impress. And maybe with the compliments of others and with the reputation that I've achieved, I myself begin to believe that I am what they believe me to be. And so I begin to gradually ignore the inward life. I begin to ignore what is my true relationship with God from the inside. Do I have attachments in my life? Do I sin with my thoughts? Do I have internal conflicts inside me that are, are, are mastering me? Do I have internal addictions? Do I have really control of myself? Do I really have other gods before God? Or is God truly the only God from in my life? So we have to also put ourselves in his position. Maybe our, um, our issue is not necessarily the love of money, although it could be. It could be many, many other things, right? And when Christ comes to us and we ask him, what is it that I have to do to inherit eternal life? And he tells us, do the commandments. That's not sufficient in itself, right? Christ here is telling him, it is not sufficient to do the commandments. Just doing the commandments does not bring you salvation. I am the one that brings you salvation. God is the one. Right? It is only through the mercy of God that we have salvation. It is only through our relationship with God. It is only through the love of God that we have salvation. Not simply because we have followed a set of rules. So this man, how did he respond? Okay, when, 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 when he heard from Christ that he had to go sell everything that he had and to, you know, to follow him. And then this way he would what? He would have treasure in heaven, this true treasure that is in heaven, you would achieve it, you would have it if you sell all of your treasure on earth and you sacrifice it and you come and you follow me. Okay? This man, this wasn't what he was expecting. If anything, this man, when he comes to Christ and he tells him, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He was going to him simply because he wanted a confirmation from Christ that you're already doing everything great. You know, you're already doing these commandments, obviously, because you believe that you do them. So you're a holy and righteous person like the Pharisees would imagine themselves to be. And this man would go to Christ and he says, yes, you're doing wonderful, just keep doing what you're doing, and he would walk away happy, right? But when he was disappointed with the answer that Christ gave him, because Christ told him to do something very difficult for him to do, it says in verse 22, but he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions, right? And so this was the reaction that he had, is once he heard from Christ the answer to his question, which is, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? When he found it so difficult for him, his, 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 his response was to give up. His response was, I, I can't do what you're asking me to do, so I'm going to give up. What didn't he do? He didn't ask him for help. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't like bow down before Christ and you know, cry out to him and tell him, this is too difficult. How, how do you want me to do this? How, how, can you, how can I do this? And maybe if he had done this, Christ would have given him the answer. Maybe Christ would have told him, I am the one who's going to help you to do this. Maybe Christ would have given the solution, right? But he didn't even try. And this is also like us when sometimes we hear the commandment of God, we hear the standard that God wants us to live, and instead of making any effort, instead of making any progress or, or, or effort or struggle to do it, instead our response is we walk away sorrowful. You know, how many times when we go to church, and we listen to a gospel reading or we listen to a sermon and we feel very convicted by it. We feel like it is, a, it is a, you know, speaking directly to me and what I'm being asked to do is so difficult and I don't know how to do it and I don't want to do it. And so instead what? I just walk away out of the church sorrowful. I just, I just walk out of that sermon feeling bad about myself, right? That is like this man. This man who, after hearing the truth 
after hearing the word of God, all he did was he walked away sorrowful, right? That is not the response that Christ wanted him to have. When Christ tells us the cold truth, that this is the truth, and that regardless of how far away we are from it, regardless of how much we might be offended by it, regardless of how difficult it is for me to do it, this is the truth. I have to tell you the truth because you asked me, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is it. You have to let go of your bondage to other things, right? And, and, and be attached only to me. This is what, what Christ is saying. This is the truth. So when he tells us this truth, it is normal and okay for us to be confused and upset and because we look at ourselves and we said this is not what I am this is not my life if I really honest with myself what Christ is telling me and what he's describing as the path to eternal life that's not me that's not what my life looks like right admitting that is the first step to salvation admitting that is the first step to actually changing right but this man didn't do he just walked away sorrowful and that was it we never hear from him again of whatever happened to him Okay? So we don't want to be like him. We want to say, even though I might hear a word that might make my heart sorrowful because I don't live according to the standard that God has given, but what is the next step? The next step is that I have to what? pursue it, that I have to seek him, seek help from him. Okay? He didn't realize that God was going to be the one to give him the strength to carry the cross. He didn't realize. He, he thought, God is telling you to carry the cross on your own, Right? No, when God tells us to carry the cross, he equips us, he gives us the strength and the ability to carry it, but we must seek that strength from him. So what happened after that? Okay, After this, okay, when Christ was speaking to his disciples, and he told them what, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because he's speaking about this example, this man who was so attached to his wealth and had the love of money. And he said, how hard it is for people who love their money and are attached to wealth like this to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so the, the disciples responded, then who, can, who then can be saved? You know, it's like, who then, if the standard is so difficult that we would even have to ask people to give up all that they have and not be attached to anything, who then can be saved? And this is where, where Christ tells us the answer. It says in Mark 10, 27, but Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but with God, for with God all things but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Right? All things are possible with God. So again, if this man were to go to Christ and he tell him, I don't know how to do this, help me, right? We re read of the man who was doubting that his son could be um, healed from his demon possession, and Christ told him, Everything is possible if you believe. And he told Christ what? I believe, help my unbelief, right? Help me to believe. Help me to live this life that you call me to live. Help me to enjoy my prayers. Help me to want to fast. Help me to go to church consistently. Help me to partake of the sacraments. Help me to confess my sins. Help me to forgive others. Help me to love those around me, even those that bother me and hurt me and have offended me. Help me to do everything you have asked me to do because I want to do what's right. I want to do what's good. Maybe I'm very far away from this, that I can't live this, that I don't know how to live this, but you can help me. I trust that you can do those things in me. Which is why we have to cultivate our relationship with God, which is why we can't just focus on those last six commandments. Because without the first four commandments, we have no power to do the last six commandments. And this was the problem of this man. When, when Christ told him, do the commandments, and he listed those last six, those were the ones that he believed he was already doing, and he was doing them fine, and his life was fine. But Christ revealed to him something deeper, something more inward, this attachment to 
to money, this attachment to other gods that he didn't understand. So if we really want to live a life that is pleasing to God, and if we really want to be able to practice the last six commandments, we have to focus on the first four commandments also, which is our relationship with God. So what are they? The first one is, you shall have no other gods before me. Right, again, who do we worship? Who am I worshiping? What is my God? What is it that I am willing to sacrifice all of my time for? What is it that I'm willing to sacrifice my money for? What is I'm willing to sacrifice myself for? That is what I am attached to. That is my God, right? So if I find myself spending all of my time doing things other than God, other than praying, other than going to church, like, and I don't, and I reject those things completely. I don't want to pray at all. I don't want to read the Bible at all. I don't want to read spiritual books at all. I don't want to do anything related to God, but I want to spend all my time doing other things. Maybe that's saying something about me that I am attached to these other things and I can't let go of them, that they are my master. Who, who do we worship? The second is, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. What does this mean? In the Old Testament, when God gave this commandment, okay, all the other nations around Israel, they were worshiping uh, idols. They were worshiping false gods. Okay? And the way they would worship these gods is they would believe that there is a god, but they would manifest that god as a physical idol, as, a, as an idol, and they would worship this idol as though this were their god. Okay? So what, what God is saying here in the second commandment is, you know, one, you have no other gods before me. Yes, that's the first commandment. But two, don't worship me in the wrong way. Don't worship me by creating an idol and worshiping it and then assume that you're worshiping me. You can't worship me through an idol. This is what God is saying, right? Come to worship me as I am. Come to worship me in spirit and truth. This is what Christ said is how do we worship, right? The people who are accepted as worshipers of God are those who worship in spirit and truth, meaning we worship God in the correct way, right? This is very much related to our faith and our dogma and our understanding of who God is and how we worship him according to what he has said and the way that we pray to him and the way that we speak to him, right? So we have to make sure that when we worship God, we do it according to uh, a right system. And this is the system that, that the church gives us, right? The church gives us the liturgical services that we come and participate in. The church gives us all of the sacraments and the way that the sacraments are officiated and done. The church gives us the fasting rules. The church gives us so many different requirements and, and, and gives us, above all, the guidance of a spiritual father of confession to help me individually, even if the general rule I find it difficult to follow, and yet with specific guidance from my father of confession, he can tailor a specific like spiritual rule for me that works for me in my spiritual level that I'm at. So, so in every way, God is giving us the opportunity not to invent a way of worshiping Him, not to invent a path on my own of how I will walk this path with God, but giving me a system where saying, what worship me according to what I have designed and what I have set for you. The third one is you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Meaning, how do we address God? How do we worship God? How do we see God? How do I refer to God? What is the respect that I give to God? Do I, do I give Him the respect that He deserves? Or do I treat him casually and lightly? Do I feel like when I come into the church that this is really the house of God and it's a place to be revered and it's a place for me to be very respectful in it? Or do I come to the church thinking it's just like any other place where I come to meet my friends? Right? It, it, it's, it's a very different attitude. When we come to God, we come to him in respect. We don't take his name in vain. We don't take his character in vain. We don't take his presence in vain. We, 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 we are very reverent and respectful to him because of who he is. The fourth one is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
So again, when do we worship Him? Do we come to church? Right? Do we take communion? All these things are part of our relationship with God that we have to cultivate and we have to grow in in order to, de to deepen our relationship with Him. Coming to church is important. Coming to church is not an optional thing. Right? Sometimes we find it difficult with our schedules and with being tired or being busy or working on weekends. I will say it again. Coming to church every week is not an optional thing. Okay? If you can't come to church on Sunday, come to church another day. Come to church at least one time a week and come and take communion. This is vital for our spiritual life. If, if we f are so busy that we can't do this, well, what does it mean again about where my priorities are? What does it mean again about what my gods are? Right? The other thing that is keeping me from coming to church, maybe this is a god for me. Maybe this is what Christ is coming and telling me what? Sell all that you have. Sell this. It's a sacrifice. It's going to be painful for you to sell this. Right? Maybe, maybe you don't think that there's any other option but to have the lifestyle that you have that's preventing you from going to church maybe, right? But God is saying, no, there is. Just trust me. Just sell this. Sell this and God will take care of the, the, the alternative. Finally, our relationship with God defines our life and our actions. Our relationship with God. So we should focus on the inward and then let the outward be transformed. If we focus only on the outward without the inward, then we're no different than atheists. We're no different than humanists. We're no different than anyone in the world that believes in good ethics, that wants to live morally, right? What makes us Christian is not because we're moral people. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is about, the name Christianity is about Christ. We are children of Christ. We have relationship with Christ. We love Christ. And it is because we love Christ that we act a certain way. It's because we love Christ that I'm willing to give up everything for Christ. It's because I love Christ that I want to pray to Him. It's because I love Christ that I want to come to His house. It's because I love Christ that I want to obey His commandments, which includes all those other things, like we said in those six other commandments. So my foundation is Christ. And so we ask, how do I inherit eternal life? It is through a relationship with Christ. It is, that is how. It is not because I'm a good person. It is not because I do any particular commandment. It's because of my relationship with Christ that then leads me to do every other good thing. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, it says, For the Lord does not see as man sees, for, the man, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so at the end of this Coptic year, when we are examining ourselves and we're looking forward to the next year, what do we have to look at? We have to look inside, inside myself. Who am I? What is it that I do? Why do I do it? And how does God want me to grow in my relationship with him? And glory be to God forever. Amen.